0: My name is Will and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, the only podcast in the world dedicated to celebrating helicopter explosions in film. Now, after making his name with a string of B-movie action thrillers, Steven Seagal turned himself into an A-list star with his breakthrough hit Under Siege. Surely a sequel or a formulaic action movie was the most obvious move to cement his newfound status. But the ponytailed martial artist had other ideas and instead chose to try and save the planet from environmental destruction. So on this show, we're looking at the world's first and possibly only ecological action movie, 1994's On Deadly Ground. Joining me to discuss the film is a man that would drink a gallon of gasoline just so he could piss in your campfire. You could drop him off in the Arctic Circle wearing a bikini and tomorrow he'd show up at your poolside with a million dollar smile and a fistful of pesos. With me once again is my good friend Dara. How you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing so good, Will. Thank you for that introduction. Yes, I am a man who likes a mankini so I can see that
0: scenario playing out. Well, it's really good to have you back, because I've had a few fill-ins on guests here, and to be honest, they've just been really make-weights and deadbeats, A lot of them, so it's good to have you back. The
1: original and the best, don't forget that.
0: Now, on Deadly Ground stars the one and only Steven Seagal. Dara, what do you think of Mr. Seagal? Are you a fan, or are you one of those haters who's just got to hate?
1: I've got mixed emotions regarding Seagal. He's a ridiculous human being, but he provides a lot of entertainment. I'm a big fan of Under Siege, really enjoyed that film. He's a bit of a one note actor. He's funny. He's kind of he's not very charismatic, and yet he is charismatic. He's kind of, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. He's just a bit of a, a contradiction in terms. You know, he, and on the one hand, he's this Buddhist, pacifist, environmentalist. And on the other hand, he makes action films. He uh, is friends with Vladimir Putin and he works for Russian arms companies. He is an odd one.
0: Well, I'm fascinated by your observation that he is charismatic, yet without a charisma. How can you explain that? You have to watch him to
1: see what he's doing, yet he's not really doing much. There's not a lot of variety to him. He is Steven Segal.
0: Now, talking of uh, Steven Seagal's face, I've, I have to say, I've always thought that you had more than a passing resemblance to Mr. Seagal. <laughs> I mean, you sported a ponytail long after they were ever considered fashionable.
1: We'll have to post a picture up uh, of me in my finest Aikido costume. And <laughs> I like to tell the viewers that my uh, my ponytail is done in a much more fashionable, of the moment style than Mr. Seagal was in 1994. But yeah, I am a fan of the ponytail. And uh, yeah, so maybe maybe Seagal is is the man I, I, I secretly want to be.
0: I think he's the man we all secretly want to be. <laughs> but uh, We can maybe get into that a bit later. Okay. But as you know, I always like to keep close tabs on what you're watching. So I wondered if you could yeah, fill me in on anything interesting you've seen lately.
1: Well, it's not Art House this week. I've gone for the opposite end. It is the new film from Ricky Gervais with his finest character, David Brent Life on the Road. You know, The Office finished quite a few years ago. There's obviously the American version that went out and um, decided now to resurrect the character. And we follow... David Brent sort of 10-15 years after the Fly on documentary comedy which was obviously very successful and he's now working for a different company called Lavichem selling uh, sanitary products to you know random toilets and companies around the UK so obviously he's not doing very well he's still driving around in his Vauxhall Signia or whatever he is and he still has this dream of being a rock star they alluded to it in the first version of The Office when you know, gets his guitar out and does his free love freeway. And he obviously, Ricky Gervais used to be the manager of Suede. So he's got sort of musical aspirations. It's hard to know if this is a vanity project of him just trying to re, to actually be, because he's released a soundtrack for the film as well. This his life imitating art or vice versa. It's not got great reviews and I was expecting to be a bit disappointed. I actually found it quite funny. The songs are great. They're actually quite amusing and quite musical in the, I'd say it's, it's almost up there with flight of the Concorde, they're that good but some bits in you could tell he's missing um, the writing ability of steven merchant to sort of bounce ideas off because it's all about brent there's no sort of filter and some of the bits are so they're so cringeworthy he gets an absolute beating some of the characters in the film you end up just feeling so sorry for him at points but yeah i'd recommend it i don't know if you're a fan of the office
0: yeah, I enjoyed The Office when it was on TV and haven't watched it for a long time, so I don't know if I would still be of the same opinion and don't know whether its charms have waned, but it's another one of those TV shows which has been sort of made often quite a while later into a big screen sort of cinematic adaptation and we, you know we saw that with the Alan Partridge movie Alpha Papa and it seems to be a real sort of trend to I guess get another payday out of the character. But I find it very interesting that they go for cinema releases rather than trying to do a new series. I don't know whether there's more money in it or whether it just means they have to get together less material for a a TV series. Obviously, perhaps you might have to do, you know, three to eight hours of material, whereas a a movie, you've only got to kind of pull together 90 minutes of of jokes to do. But yeah, it's a a strange phenomena that uh, we seem to be sort of seeing at the moment.
1: With the Alan Partridge character, Steve Coogan's obviously released quite a few other bits and pieces at like Morning Matters and new series on Sky. So he's kind of kept that fresh and the film is fantastic. The Office, David Brent really hasn't been touched for all this time. It is a weird choice to come out. He might be right. It might be to do with, I only need so much material, just need one idea. And he's obviously got quite a big fan base. So even if the film's awful, people are going to go and watch the film. It's a, it's a guaranteed payday, as you say
0: right well i think it's time to get stuck into our main discussion so let's see if trailer man can remind us of the title of the film and who's starring in it steven seagal is on deadly ground you're an oil man but i put out the fires
1: i stopped spills we are being lied to by some of the most sophisticated people on earth i know we've had our disagreements how much money is enough i don't need that kind of problem right now rid of the
0: problem you mean mercenaries now this land has a friend in you i've seen a great spirit these people have a warrior did you beat up on this little native man ah! and this corporation find me a buddy or find me the man has a big problem on Deadly Ground came out in 1994. The film's director and star is Steven Seagal. He plays Forrest Taft, a sort of engineering troubleshooter. Uh, he works for a wealthy and ruthless oil baron played by Michael Caine. He wants to open an oil field in Alaska before the drilling rights are given back to the Inuit Eskimos. But when Seagal discovers Caine's unethical plans are endangering lives and the environment, Caine tries to have Whispering Steve killed, prompting old stony-faced Seagal to open up a can of wapas. On its release, Variety described On Deadly Ground as a vanity project parading as a social statement, whilst Empire Magazine's Kim Newman praised the film for its lively action and hailed Seagal as a director, saying he shows real muscle by staging one of the screen's best ever exploding helicopters. Unfortunately, that wasn't an opinion shared by everyone as Seagal won that year's Razzie for Worst Director. But critics be damned, Exploding Helicopter always likes to make up its own mind about these things, so Dara, what did you make of On Deadly Ground?
1: Yeah, so critics be damned, but if you look at the critics reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, I think it's currently got a 10% rating. And that is awful. That is, that is in the toilet awful. I, as I said, really, I quite enjoyed this film. It is, it's Segal's Inconvenient Truth. You could argue that he's well ahead of the curve in terms of, uh, you know, his environmental message. In um, an action movie, Al Gore. He really is. And dividing opinion as equally as Al Gore. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed this. It had quite um, an 80s feel to it, which is odd for a a film in 1994. Obviously, he got big money to make this film. I think he was saying it's about 56 million production, So you can make a good film for that. I mean, he's obviously got quite a good cast. Um, He's managed to recruit with Michael Caine, perhaps at one of his low moments. They managed to get, get him in there. It's got John McGinley in place as well. And it's got, is it R. Lee Emery, the drill instructor from Full Metal Jacket in there?
0: It certainly does have him.
1: Yeah, he's he's got he sports a rather odd moustache. If you look up closely, it is definitely stuck on. <laughs> don't think that fifty Don't think that fifty six million went to his uh, you know uh, state top of the lip. art moustache for him. Top lip, yeah. I enjoyed that. It. It's completely ridiculous, but Steven Seagal films tend to be completely ridiculous.
0: Well, I think we might be in roughly the same place on this film because. For me, this is one of the oddest action movies ever made. It goes in so many weird directions and we are going to be talking about each of those in our discussion. And what I love is it's just fully committed to its weirdness. Obviously, Seagal was coming into this off the back of Under Siege. He'd managed to persuade the studio to allow him to direct the film as well, which he'd never directed a, a movie before. And apparently, Seagal also had... A hand in various rewrites of the script and clearly he was just given his head on this movie because it is really it goes it's so odd it's so weird i don't think anyone's ever tried to make another ecological action movie there are some very strange uh, action scenes in here which go off into deep philosophical territory and steven seagal also enters the eskimo spirit world at one point in this film so it's definitely not marked for death that's for sure
1: steven seagal really you could tell by this man's life he's a man who just doesn't care about opinion he doesn't care about the movie studios he does what he wants and in this film he was given the money and the ability to do exactly what he wants. so this is if, if you want to look inside steven seagal's brain This is probably the clearest view anyone will have. It is a mishmash of oddness and his particular likes and dislikes. The only thing we don't see in him is him serenading the love interest, maybe with an acoustic guitar since he's uh, released a couple of albums. I'm surprised he didn't manage to uh, shoehorn that in there. But all these other little uh, loves are, are catered for in this film.
0: Well, we've already started discussing the ways in which On Deadly Ground is a very unusual film. And one of the large parts of that is the fact that it's a action movie with an environmental message. And it's trying to make a point about the dangers of the oil industry. Uh, So one of the plot strands of the film uh, sees a dispute between Michael Caine's oil baron and the local Inuit community who are concerned about the damage he's causing to the environment they live in. What did you make of the ecological message and how it was portrayed in On Deadly Ground?
1: The eco message really is so heavy handed it's about as subtle as a kick in the nuts um this <laughs> is like a you know a, a bad b b c four documentary oil, man bad Inuit's good, tons of Eskimo mumbo jumbo in there, which i to be honest. I started zoning out at those points.
0: You're uh, showing a lot of respect for uh, Inuit culture at uh, this moment, Dara.
1: Like, you know what? I don't, I don't even know that he's showing respect for Inuit culture. It's, I can't imagine that these are humans like the rest of us, I can't imagine that they would believe that they li- existed in this spirit world 24-7. I'll tell you one thing. The most interesting thing about the film in terms of his eco was his four-minute speech at the end, which apparently was much longer in the original version, which they edited down. We did come across where he's actually putting out facts about, you know, big business and GM crops. And, you know, climate change, all these things in the kind
0: of documentary format
1: with actual images of what's going around in the world currently.
0: Do you you actually think those were actual facts, though? Because that sort of global conspiracy that he paints in that particular speech, it sounded like something that would come out of the mouth of of Fox Mulder in an X-Files episode. (laughs) You know, the sort of the confluence of government with big business and the media pulling the wool over our eyes. I mean, it was all just... Okay. You've
1: got a point. A lot of it. I haven't done any uh, in-depth investigation of the accuracy of, of Segal's claims, but I was actually more interested in that. Tell, tell me, t- give me a conspiracy theory, at least with some interesting pictures rather than some Eskimo rubbish that I have to sit through as a metaphor, as a poor metaphor
0: for the world going to pieces. Were you as confused as I was about Stephen Scal's efforts to save the environment, largely seeming to involve blowing up an oil rig? It was a
1: bit odd, you know. I, I did reasonably be well in science, and my understanding was when, when you have explosions of this nature, it just releases a lot of gases into the atmosphere. If you're worried about the ozone, it's probably not going to help. Uh, I'm sure there's like debris and things that go into the general in, environment. They filmed up in Alaska, absolutely beautiful, pristine, uh, you know, snow-covered plains and You know, I'm sure the water's not too polluted up there. Yet, here he is, 56 million just blowing up in the middle of Alaska. I can't imagine it did the environment many favours.
0: And I was also a bit confused about why or how Seagal's character came to be a champion of the Eskimo's environmental concerns in this film because, you know, Seagal starts the film as this man who is working for the oil industry, seemingly quite happy, taking home his check. And then just because he has us for a weird encounter in the uh, Eskimo spirit world, he then is making four minute long speeches to uh, packed town halls about the dangers of the uh, oil industry. Yeah,
1: maybe that bit got edited out of the final version of the film. How he, uh, how he suddenly—were they trying to like hint that he was part Eskimo or something? Because he he does have a remarkable line in tasselled leather <laughs> and suede jackets throughout the whole film. You see, in every scene, he's got like a different weird ethnic jacket on. Obviously, maybe that reflects how suddenly he's he's turned into uh into like one of the Inuits. Yeah, I didn't buy that at all. I think you just have to accept this is Seagal's world and you're
0: watching it. You're absolutely right, Dara, because Seagal's character, there are hints in this film to suggest that he's got a very close affinity to the Inuit because of the way that he is dressed in this film and he stands up for them in a a bar fight scene earlier in the film. But I don't quite get from his very seemingly loose affinity with the Eskimos to how he becomes this... Uh, environmental warrior uh, i mean he does have this little sort of trip into the eskimo dream world and it's almost like he becomes hypnotized or indoctrinated there i mean i don't know if we can then trust what Segao is saying at the end of this movie
1: so yet very odd, this the spirit world conversion. It reminded me quite a lot of the scene in uh, Empire Strikes Back where Luke Skywalker visits Yoda in, in the Dagobah system and he goes into that cave and f- he flips out and sees Darth Vader in there and it's done in a really kind of ham, ham-fisted ham way. You do see uh, some naked ladies in there, so I guess for all the guff you have to put up with, there is a payoff <laughs> for your normal, your normal action fan. You get to see that. That's completely unnecessary, but appreciated.
0: Yeah, for those people who haven't seen uh, On Deadly Ground, this is a very, very bizarre sequence in the film. So what happens here is Seagal... Is taken in by the Inuit and he kind of becomes their spiritual champion. So the chief of the Inuit here declares Segal as a spirit bear, and you know Segal enters this Eskimo spirit world where he has to sort of undergo some form of test. It's very very unclear sort of here. There's the uh, naked gyrating ladies that uh, that you've already mentioned, and there's also a, there's also a very bizarre scene where Sigal wrestles a bear.
1: Very odd bit with the bear where he, has, he wrestles with a bear. Much like uh, Putin. Maybe that's why he's a fan of Putin. That's what Putin does in real life, doesn't he? <laughs> Re- wrestles bears, bear-chested. And then he yes, kills the bear. And then obviously when he comes out, they see the spirit of the bear in him, I think. I think that's what I got from it. I, think I got a little bit confused, if I'm honest, and I started to nod off. But yeah, very strange. <laughs> and then suddenly after that, he goes, he goes Rambo and wants to take out the whole of the oil industry. And the poor innocent oil workers just kills them. All the mercenaries that come in just kills him once he's finished doing that um there's no criminal proceedings or anything like that he gets to do another speech in front of everyone about the ills of the oil industry what about the ills of steven seagal killing people and not getting prosecuted that's what i want to know
0: how long a speech would you like to hear about that
1: at least 10 minutes
0: But it's not just in the environmental concerns or the embrace of Inuit Eskimo culture that kind of on deadly ground is very weird. There's also a very odd plot line, or it's really just a scene really, where there is a kind of strong sort of uh, anti-racism message. It's a really quite extraordinary scene where Sigal is in this bar and he decides to sort of intervene when an oil worker begins racially abusing this Eskimo who is hanging out there. And he kind of challenges this bully to a brutal version of the hand slap game and then proceeds to... I think the only way I can describe it is literally beat the racism out of him. <laughs> Do you think it's possible to beat the racism out of a man? Yes, I think you can if you hit them hard enough. You can
1: you can <laughs> achieve it whatever you like. It is one. Of the, it is a great scene. My favourite scene, one of my favourite scenes in the film, and we get to see Mike Starr. People might know him from Goodfellas, Edward and Dumber Dumber, as a kind of racist lunk. He's sitting there in the bar with his mates, picking on a poor Inuit chap who's had a few drinks too many, and obviously. Sigal is a, the pacifist; doesn't intervene immediately, but after he's pushed, challenged into this hand slap game, and obviously this guy is a overweight oil worker, and uh, Stephen Sigal is a finely tuned Aikido machine who basically beats the shit out of him, punches him in the stomach, makes him throw up, breaks his nose, and at the end of it,
0: <laughs> he says something like, uh, "What do you say?" at the end, Sigal asks, "What does it take to change the essence of a man?" To which the man replies, "I need time."
1: Yeah, he needs time because he needs to go to A and E to fix his nose. <laughs> maybe to change his pants because you know they're covered in sick, and he might have soiled himself. Yeah, it's an interesting way. This is his, this is Segal's way of approaching probably most subjects, just with blunt brute force and the subtlety of a sledgehammer. Yeah,
0: you know, now Dara, you know I like to have my uh, my little theories about uh, different characters uh, in films. And Here we go. Uh, yeah now i i wondered though if there's an alternative way of readings uh, of, the, of on deadly ground because in this scene that we've just been describing mike star is taunting seagal he's calling him cupcake and basically sort of I like s- that he's basically suggesting that seagal is uh, a homosexual and the head of the inuits calls you know says that seagal is a bear now in gay, oh. now in gay culture, uh, a bear is a hairier man who projects an image of rugged masculinity. <laughs> wow. This is, this is a first on,
1: on all fronts, the first eco homosexual action movie ever made. You know what? It could be that he's trying to promote the, uh, you know, a gay message as well. You know, kudos to, to Gal for doing that. No, you know, back in 1994, Times weren't so enlightened Maybe he's paved the way for gay marriage With films like this Who's to to know?
0: I'd love to know how close Steven Seagal came to being In uh, Brokeback Mountain (sighs) I'm not sure His ponytail would fit under the cowboy hat If I'm honest But uh, for all the nutty content in On Deadly Ground, it is meant to be an action movie. And after a, a bit of a slow start, the choreographed violence gets cracking. And we see Seagal being hunted in the Alaskan forest by mercenaries. And there's a big shootout at the end of the movie as Seagal tries to infiltrate the oil refinery. Did On Deadly Ground give you enough gunplay and martial arts?
1: You can't argue about the action in this film. It is A for effort. The plot might be a bit bonkers, but, you know, you got good chop-socky action from Seagal. You know, he's a 7th Dan Aikido master, so you expect some some slick skills. I've noticed that everyone, his style of martial arts, people have to run at him at full pace for it to work. If you're someone who just throws a punch and stands back, I don't know what he would do. Yeah, everyone seems to <laughs> run into him and just spins him around and throws him into a window. But, you know, I'm sure I couldn't beat him up if I if I tried. Absolutely huge explosions. Um, you know, I can't imagine they were very environmentally friendly. And then when he goes Rambo towards the end, the end scenes did remind me kind of of Rambo. Where he's running around a forest rigging traps, chased by a bunch of sort of mercenaries. It had that kind of feel to it, I'm sure.
0: It was a bit like Predator as well, wasn't it? Those the, where he's making the traps in the uh, wilderness.
1: Yeah, a bit. A bit of much, a poor man's <laughs> Predator is one of the top top films, this this yeah it might have taken an inspiration from Predator, but yeah nowhere near as good.
0: But one of the very odd things about Steven Seagal as an action actor is that. No one is ever allowed to hit him. And for all the way in which the scenes were sort of choreographed here, I do think the fact that no one is allowed to land a blow on Seagal does make the scenes lack any sort of drama because you don't get that sort of classic toing and froing as as two people maybe duke it out. It adds that element of like, oh, who might win? Might it be the bad guy? or oh, no, the hero's coming back now. You don't get any of that with Seagal. No. He's just always presented as somebody who's completely invincible. It must be a conscious
1: thing from uh, Sigal because he, I know he runs like a few Aikido dojos. Perhaps he doesn't want to be seen as being in any way weak, so that'll undermine his his other business he's got. Because it's completely, you know, ridiculous and just taking on hundreds of different people without not even not no one lands anything on him ever. Is obviously completely unrealistic. To go back to the action sequences, you know, there's a lot of a lot going on, but it's they're kind of oddly hollow. In terms of the impact, because it's, they're not really done with much panache or humor. In a lot of these action films, you kind of, if you think about Schwarzenegger or, or even Stallone to a less extent, you get kind of one-liners and you get a little bit of humor that punctuates it. There's really hardly any humor in this film at all. The only humor comes unintentionally from Michael Caine ripping into someone or some ridiculous elements of the plot. There's no intentional humor in this film. It is very straight-laced.
0: Saving the planet is no laughing Matadara.
1: Well, obviously, as you can tell by this film and the uh, people that went to the box office to see it. Well,
0: there's a bunch of famous names in this film, including Michael Caine and Arlie Ermey. What did you make of the performances from the supporting cast here?
1: I really love Michael Caine in this. He's basically seen chewing finery. Um, <laughs> I think this was at, this was at of a low point in Michael Caine's career um, before he got, I think it was the Cider House Rules where he kind of had that comeback and now he's, you know everyone loves Michael Caine and everything he's a fantastic actor there was a time when he was a bit of a joke and I think this was his interim period I think Michael Caine uh, was considering actually quitting acting a few years after this film was made maybe as a result of this film but uh he he's brilliant in this he's so over the top completely ridiculous in that kind of 80s bad guy way insults people left right and no moral compass whatsoever he's just the face of corporate greed willing to tread on anything that goes in his path. I really loved it. I thought he was, I thought he was brilliant. He should do more roles
0: like this. Yeah, as you say, Kane just absolutely chews up the dialogue and the scenes here. Uh, never misses a moment to uh, uh, deliver a needlessly foul mouthed or crude insult to uh, somebody. And he delivers them in a very odd accent, which I think he's trying for some sort of uh, Texan.
1: Yeah, he's he's got cowboy boots on, so he probably he's trying to be from Texas, but he's not a good one, Kane, on accents, is he? He always kind of pays a cockney who spent too much time in London and has gone to another country and you can still hear the cockney in
0: whichever country accent he's trying to do. I thought this was quite interesting, this film, because, uh, you know, Michael Caine, sometimes he's awful in a film, but it's never for lack of trying. But I did sort of see in the eyes of Michael Caine here a sort of a, a look of what am I doing here? Has my career really come to this?
1: Is that why he's so angry in this film? Because... You can see he really he's very passionate in his portrayal of this corporate sleaze bag, and it may be that he's, he's channeling some of his own frustration with the way his career is going.
0: That could well be because he's like off the Richter scale in terms of uh, anger. He's the—he's uh, got the amp turned up to eleven in this film. But yeah, um, just going back to something we were talking about earlier, about the kind of the oddness of uh, Steven Seagal, because he, he's, I find him, I am morbidly fascinated with Steven Seagal. Uh, I once well, spent- yeah,
1: viewers need to know this about you. You've, you've gotten a bit of an obsession about, I don't know what it is about Steven Seagal. You know, did you have a post of him on your wall when you were a child? What did you get, collect his VHS videos? Why, why this fascination?
0: Well, I think it's just because he's such a sort of contradiction, because as we were sort of talking about earlier, on the one hand, he's this sort of Buddhist, Dalai Lama loving environmentalist. But then, you know, he seems to have abandoned that at some point in, I don't know, the late 90s. And he's now sort of this Vladimir Putin apologist, somebody who likes to pretend that there's some sort of plastic policeman by going around with the uh, Louis- Louisiana state police and yeah, he seems to have gone from eco warrior to right wing gun loving nutcase. It's an odd journey. He's basically the
1: same before. just a man who does what he wants when he wants on a whim. <laughs> it's quite funny. He's obviously very got a massive ego. I was oh, reading yeah. something about his time on Saturday night live where they described him as the biggest jerk who's ever taken over the show. Um, you know, he's kind of boasting about CIA background, which is completely it seems to be exaggerated beyond all proportion. You know, he's got seven children by four different uh partners, he's got sexual harassment suits. He just does what he wants when he wants and whether he wants to you know, whether it's of the moment to spout his environmental stuff, he'll do that. And then when he
0: wants to sell some Kalashnikovs.
1: Sell some Kalashnikovs he'll do that and you know, if you don't like it, get lost.
0: Well, uh, hopefully our listeners won't get lost, uh, certainly not whilst we take a short break, and when we come back we're going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action.
1: Listen to The Lair of the Unwanted on iTunes, and you can hear me, Jason Soto, use the F word. French? No. Fudge? Eh, sorta, but no. Frank? No. Fridge? No. Faruka Balk? What? What?
0: No. Arfid Nugan. <sighs> Jeez, no. Uh, Alright, what F word could you possibly be talking about? I'm talking about <sighs> in The Layer of the Unwanted. Covering the movies you don't want to see and more on iTunes. We're back, and now we're going to look at the exploding helicopter action. This happens towards the end of the film. Michael Kane hires some mercenaries to rub out Seagal's troublesome eco-warrior. Using a helicopter, they track Big Steve into the Alaskan wilderness. However, like a deranged survivalist, Steve keeps a remote cave in the wilderness chock-full of explosives and weaponry. But old Face has set up a trap. He's rigged an explosive which duly detonates. The blast catches the helicopter and blows it into the side of the cliff where it explodes. Eco Warrior one mercenaries nil. Dara, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action?
1: Yeah, I, I enjoyed the scene. It was a good. It's um, you can tell it's no CGI involved. It was a, pro- it was proper explosions. You get to see to, to explain to the viewers this helicopter sort of chasing Sigal through the woods and these hold up in this cabin right on a, on the cliffside, and the the helicopter sort of hovers by the by the cliffside. With a, someone with a gun on the on the sort of struts of it, wait to sort of do some damage to him, and then you suddenly get the explosion, and you see the crumpled chassis of the uh, helicopter when the explosion hits. That was quite a nice touch. You don't see that very often, and then the debris falling. You didn't see, a bit weird though, because I don't know if you noticed this, well, but the before that shot, you see basically all the bad guys in the helicopter and then the helicopter blows up and they're not in it. They're, they're riding on horseback across the hills. I don't know if I fell asleep for five minutes.
0: I think you might have nodded off because that was explained in the film. They're tracking Seagal and Arlie Ermi says, all right, we need to get some horses because, you know, the terrain there is too tight. And then says the helicopter will sort of track Seagal from the air, so...
1: Is there a scene where you actually see them come off the helicopter?
0: There isn't a scene where you see them come off the helicopter, but through dialogue it is explained that that is what is going to happen. That's
1: unacceptable. It's unacceptable to me. I I did not see them actually come out and I I feel cheated because I I wasn't paying attention.
0: I had hoped you would pay attention because um, <laughs> I'm 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 relying on you to help me review this film.
1: I'd reached my threshold maybe by this point uh, perhaps. But you don't, i tell you what I am factually correct on, is that you don't see any debris hitting the ground, which is rule number three in the exploding helicopter handbook. There's not much agonizing writhing around from the people who are still in the helicopter, which is disappointing. I like to see some writhing and agony. And <laughs> uh you don't linger enough on the sort of debris when it, it hits the floor. You don't see that at all. They could have made that a little bit more uh, central to the film, but I guess... In a film with this many explosions, you don't have to.
0: Well, I picked up on some of the same things as you. I was disappointed that we don't see the, the wreckage fall to the ground. It, it That's like punctuation at the end of a sentence. I think you need to see the wreckage on the ground just to sort of complete them at a particular moment. Nice bit of slow-mo as the helicopter crashes into the side of the uh, the cliff. The shot of the burning fuselage, that was really good. But more evidence, though, this particular scene of Seagal's disregard for the environment. Because you know just blows up the side of a cliff in order to blow up a helicopter he's just wrecked the natural landscape of alaska even more this man a
1: single-handedly caused more damage than uh, you know a fleet of oil companies pumping <laughs> oil into the into the alaskan wilderness would ever do it's do as i say not do as i do
0: with first uh, thing well given the fact that he's a seventh dan aikido warrior who's to argue exactly Well, I think that just about wraps things up for this show. Dara, thanks for joining me once again. Always a pleasure. Tell me you had fun, please. This was tolerable. (laughs) Well, hopefully you can come back for another tolerable experience. Oh, I'll check my diary. Don't forget to check out the Exploding Helicopter website, where you can find lots of reviews of films with exploding helicopters and all sorts of weird facts we've collected about our favourite fiery phenomena. We'll be back soon. But until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters.
1: This podcast is a proud member
0: of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. What does it take? What does it take to change the essence of a man? Time to change. The time. I do too.